Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory. This is episode 50 and is called Risk Versus Reward. We're going to start with Daytona 400. That is where this past weekend was the cutoff for the playoffs. And this weekend was pretty much what we thought would probably be inevitable for the Hendrick organization. And with earlier in the year, Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman having their problems with being injured uh, with extracurricular activities, that really did pretty much uh, come out and follow through to the point that they did not make the playoffs. So they were not able to procure a win, which is what it was going to need to be able to make the playoffs because they just didn't have enough points. So uh, Chase actually ran relatively well, I think, you know, consistently, but really there's never really a threat to really win. It never had the speed or the pace. And, you know, that time away um, certainly, um, I think, uh, shows that your commitment has to be 100% to be able to be in a position to run up front week in and week out and uh, staying in tune to, you know, all the changes and all the things that happened over the course of uh, the year. So, well, and not that his commitment when he was in the car was not 100%. We want to just, you know, disclaimer that you're, you're referring to, correct me if I'm wrong, the fact that he had injured himself snowboarding. And so that put him out of the car for all those weeks. Correct. And I think that anytime you're out of the car for a period of time, things change. There's, you know, the things happen with little things that the the race teams are doing. Things happen with the NASCAR and implement, implementing certain, you know, changes and obstacles. And it just seems like that you never, ever really kind of stay in tune when you're out of the race car for a period of time. You come back and it just takes a bit. And when you're hurt, it even takes a bit longer. Uh, I've been in that situation a number of times. I was going to say, you can speak to that because you have been half you have been forced to be out of the car while you were injured. And when you came back, things were not the same. Yeah. And I drove a lot of times hurt uh, pretty severely, actually. And I felt like that I was able to kind of begin to heal more by staying in the car. And you get used to the pain, you get used to, you know, maybe you're not a hundred percent, but you're still there, you're still connected and you're still engaged. And I think in my opinion, when you're out of the car, which I have been too because of injuries, uh, you come back and it takes you a bit to get acclimated again and to your body to go through a transition of being able to be on kill again. And it takes a bit of time for that to happen. And then just being out of the car and what nuances are changing within the car and the things that they keep gaining from week to week, and I think. What about the personnel? Do you think that the personnel kind of meshes with that new driver that filled your spot and maybe some relationships are made um, while you're gone. Not that they aren't loyal to you, but just they've had to learn the, you know, 
strengths and weaknesses of this new driver? Well, I think that certainly that just is a given. They they just have to deal with that. And it really is a difficult transition when you're so used to the the things in the the, that a driver does and what he, you know, he senses and the feedback and you kind of get that rapport. And when you have to start with somebody new, that takes time. And sometimes it never really does like, you know, work, you know, the cars, you know, are, are dialed in for um, the way that you run the cars and the way that your system is, you know, for a, a certain style of driver and the way that he approaches a race. And, and then it takes away from the whole process and the whole dynamic. And I think that's certainly what I think you saw in both in both instances with Alex Bowman with his back problem, and then the same with with Chase. And you know, any anytime you're out of the car and you get under the gun, and you have to come back, and things don't go well right off the start, you don't pick up where you left off. And then all of a sudden you start pressing, and then things don't go well. Mistakes are made when you're pressing. Correct, and it just never seems to really gel. And so I think that's really what, what transpired. I think it just never was going to happen. And, you know, they worked as hard as they could. They had some good runs, but they just never were really a factor to win. They were proficient, you know, a top 10, top five cars, but, you know, they, you know, had some good fortune and got something a little closer, but really just didn't have what it took to, to see it through. So it was unfortunate, but you know what, that's, um, the way I look at it is that should just uh, set a precedent for you. And it should be something that, you know, I think should set a precedent for most of these guys moving forward. Right. And I heard uh, Chase say, not that he was alluding to the fact that he was out of the car because of a sport he was participating in that injured him, but he did make the comment that uh, lesson learned. So I wonder which lesson he's referring to on that. Well, I mean, that's his own, that's his own choice, right? And I think lessons learned, I think if you have to look from the outside looking in, and you had the result of what you had, I don't think that you really can look at it any other way. And if you are, then I think you're misguided, in my opinion. I think this is a sport where you race 36 weekends a year. This is a weekend, week out at the highest level in every aspect, mentally and physically. And the rapport you build with the people, that continuity, you know, it just it's just a complete mechanism that has to be chugging along every week. And when you throw a monkey wrench into it and you got a six, seven week, uh, you know, lapse of that working together, it's hard to come back and pick up where you left off. It just sometimes doesn't really transpire. And, you know, they're going to finish off this year and who knows what will happen, but th- it'll take a concerted effort to get back to form come next year uh, on in pretty much both instances. So anyways. Uh, racing at Daytona, always exciting and, and eventful. Uh, you know, you hear all the rhetoric after uh, a super speedway race of this magnitude, all the people that have a voice on social media and everything else, you know, that, well, we need to readdress NASCAR needs to readdress restrictor plate racing. Um, well, and back up a little bit. Why are they saying this? Because of the wreck with priests, which was very, very scary. Well, it was. And I think that is, you know, when you listen to Kyle Petty and Dale Jarrett and you listen to the commentary about it, it really is really nothing new to restrictor plate racing. It's new because of the modern era of race car and the things that have been implemented within the car itself structurally that the cars are staying on the ground and not getting that lifting um, 
a sensation. And we have always had that in years prior. Throughout the, you know, the late 80s, or actually mid-80s to 1990s, the cars were looking that way. They were like a feather. And they get up in the air, and then if they touch the ground, then they start a, you know, a barrel rolling effect. And, you know, that's exactly what it looked like, you know, to me. Well, and I think that was what was different for a fan such as myself that has only been watching for the last decade or two that did not watch racing in the 80s and, and early 90s. This type of wreck, and I even made mention of it on my Facebook when it happened, I had never seen a wreck where they become airborne and then touch the ground and continue to spin and go airborne and then touch the ground again and continue to to barrel roll. It was it was almost like you were holding your breath until that car stopped spinning. It was like watching, you know, gymnastics with a with a NASCAR car. And it was very scary. It was much more scary than any other wreck I have witnessed, including Newman's, including any of the ones, you know, at the Daytona 500 that have been, you know, just, oh my gosh, um, Kyle Larson's up into the catch fence. I mean, this one was just, this one looked like it hurt. This one looked like this is breaking his bones. And I think that's where fan, newer fans are taking it from that standpoint. It looked much more dangerous. I think the optics, again, when you start looking at a car that gets up into the air and starts barrel rolling and flipping, if you're just new to the sport within the last, you know, 10 years, then yes, it was probably something that, you know, you'd never seen before. And, you know, the alarm goes off and you think that, you know, there has to be a, a clear fix for this. And in all reality, this has been the norm for a long period of time. You know, back in the 80s, Ricky Rudd had the same thing at Daytona when he flipped the thing and it, you know, it stood on its nose and Richard Petty had the same thing happen. I mean, they had to tape Rudd's eyes open so he could drive, you know, so. <laughs> Which would never happen today. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, they would have been through concussion protocol and probably never made it. But, you know, the things have changed and it is really, you know, and again, I think, in my opinion, you can look at it from both sides of the spectrum and you can say, well. You know, are they doing the right things and making it safer and making it where, you know, it uh, the end result is nobody gets hurt? Or do you say that the sport is, you know, frightfully dangerous and the facts that you can die, you can break your bones, you can be out, you know, and have serious head injuries. We've seen all this and it has happened to a lot of people. We have killed a lot of young drivers. Uh, we have maimed and bruised and people have lost their careers over the fact that you know that you know they've succumbed to certain things that the cars have uh you know as a result of a wreck so that is what i think kyle was alluding to and when dale jarrett to some degree is the fact that hey look i know this looks different because you haven't seen it in a while but this is what the norm was this is what can happen. Racing is dangerous. Yes. It always will be dangerous to some degree. Certain things have been implemented and done to limit the amount and the severity of these types of uh, injuries and wrecks. But the bottom line is you can't eliminate you the, cannot. The, the, and, the chance of it. And once you eliminate it, then you take away what is alluring about the sport, just like... Um, in the movie Rush, which you absolutely love, that uh, quote that 
you know, James Hunt says to Nikki Lauda when Nikki Lauda is talking about the percentage of risk only has to be this, this, or this, or we don't race. And James Hunt tells him, very matter of factly, don't. Don't talk about the risk. That Then you ruin what's good about the sport. You ruin the sport. The sport is risk. It is dangerous. People get into the car knowing that they could die. And that's the death-defying aspect about the sport. And I know you have mentioned this before when you started racing in the 80s and the 90s, that that is what really made you stand out among the crowd. It was a claim to fame. It was a death-defying sport. NASCAR was much more dangerous back then. And getting into the car, if you had a 20% chance that you would be injured or killed, that's, that's what makes you a hero. And now the sport is still dangerous for sure. And I think that's what Kyle Petty said too, is, hey, all of a sudden you get a wake-up call that, yeah, you watch these wrecks and ha- happen over and over and over again every week, and they just get out and walk away. Nobody's ever seriously hurt. Well, all of a sudden you realize, oh, wow, this is what could happen. This sport is still dangerous. It's not near as hurtful as it used to be with all of the, you know, soft walls and all of the impl- Im- implantations of the, like, the uh, Hans device and, and all of those things have made the injuries mu- much less fatal. But still, the bottom line is it's a dangerous sport. and bottom line is you signed up for it. You want to do this sport. When you get into that car, you are saying, I am taking the risk. I am putting my life in my hands. This is what I want to do with my life. Much like going into the military. If you sign up for it voluntarily, you are saying, I'm taking this risk. I'm signing up for this. And I think we lose sight of that. And especially though those naysayers that are saying, oh, NASCAR needs to change their safety. What are you going to do? Make it so that they're just out there so padded and so everything is so safety conscious that it's no longer a dangerous sport, then it's, then it's not even fun to watch. I think for me in the beginning, I, I thought the, there was a major uh, allure to when you watch these guys go through what they went through and though the wrecks and, you know, you look at formula one and all the things that have happened, the, the pure fact that when you go to a sporting event, it's like going to watch a bullfight. When you go to watch a bullfight, right? Oh, that's a good analogy. You think about, okay, it's the bull and the matador. Now, there's a good chance that matador is going to get gored, right? There's a good <laughs> And look at all the people who watch that. And they love, they love, and the ooh and the ah, right? Like and, and, you know, but then, you know, when the guy makes nice movements and flips his deal, the next thing you know, the bull's, you know, like deterred. Well, yeah, there's there's something magical and something alluring and exciting about that. And that's what engulfs you. And as, you know, somebody that was watching the sport and watching the race and going 200 miles an hour and over 200 miles an hour, coming down pit road without a pit road speed, hauling the mail up over the bumps, car airborne, guys driving in there with guys running out in front of the car. Now, you want to talk about exciting? That's what it was. It was super exciting. All the way down to the pit crew guys running out there with no helmets on, no nothing, and running out in front of one of us mental giants coming down through there, right. with, I mean, and hoping that he gets that thing stopped and doesn't hit anybody. That there was true magic. I mean, you, you can see it. You can see the speed. You can see him come to the cars, and the guy's battling to get him woed down. Now you come in at 35 miles an hour, and you pull into your pit, and you do your stuff, and off you go. Now, I get it. Safety is one thing. But you know what? Bring back 
what the sport was. And you're going to see the optics that will certainly raise the level of intensity and excitement again if you're coming down pit road with no pit road speed. Well, and I think it will bring in fans that are not involved in the sport currently. I I mean, look at the amount of people that you say were in the stands and in the pits in the early 90s. It was mayhem because there were so many people. And it was because they were they were catching a glimpse of that magic, of that death-defyingness, of that hero. You you become heroic in the eyes of a average person when you are able to do things that the average person does not have the guts to do. That is what makes you spectacular. And the drivers of today, do they have, like Priest um, made the comment, you know, you have to be tough to be in the sport. You do. You know, he was probably asked, oh, you know, does this scare you? You know, asked his wife, does this scare, scare you to have him out there? It is, it's par for the course. If you want to be in this sport, then you you better have that level of, you know, guts to ball ratio. I mean, there, there's got to be that there. Otherwise, you're not going to last very long in the sport. I mean, you could be mediocre and then you get a wreck and you're like, OK, I'm done. But I think that's what makes NASCAR drivers or at least when I first came into the sport, it was something that was iconic. It was unusual. It was unique, and it was exciting. I mean, you think about it. When you when you go and get wrecked, and you break your ribs, and maybe you break your clavicle, and you know your vision's a little bit blurry, and you know, and you don't tell nobody, and you get in the car the next week, and you go about your business. Now, I can tell you, driving with broke ribs for an entire year is painful. It is miserable. And it hurts, and it is not in what you want to be doing all year long. But I'll be damned if I was going to get out of the car. Right. Well, you had a sponsor to satisfy, and back then, wasn't it much more dangerous to leave your car because someone else was ready to jump right in? Well, your there'd seat. be somebody that, you know, the opportunities open up no matter what. If you have a contract, no matter what, you get out of the car, you get hurt, and somebody's there. You never know what the car owners are thinking. You never know what the crew chiefs are thinking or what sponsors are thinking. So you just open yourself up for the opportunity for something to change. So it was always my thought that come hell or high water, I'm going to drive the race car. When I get out of the car, I'm not hurt. I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to be limping. I'm not going to be like, you know, woe is me and look at this. You know what I mean? My bottom line is I'm fine. I'm getting the heck out of Dodge and I'm going home. Then I'll lick my wounds there and right. I'll figure out how to get back in the car next week and just say everything's okay. And do you think that race car drivers actually ask to go home earlier and kind of fake their injuries a little bit, the ones that are super tough, so that they do not get that, you know, too too long in the hospital, too long in the infield care center. It's like you, they want to get out quick. Oh, yeah. Now the troublesome part about it is, though, is they have so many protocols. I mean, what you have to go through now when you get into a wreck and you go into the infield care center, I mean, you go through a barrage of tests. They put the, you know, they got the concussions test and they got this test. And I mean, next thing you know, I mean, they go through all this stuff. And if there's just even a, a slight variation or glitch, it's, whoa, 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 you know, I don't think you can do this. You know what I mean? I was like, you know what, Jack, I can do whatever I want to do, you know, but that's not the way it is, right? So you open yourself up to, this kind of, you know, of, you know, stifling of your ability to get back in the race car, you know, and whether or not people want to say, well, you know, you're wrong. And, you know, you know, the guys that have, 
you know, stepped away and stepped back and said, you know, this is not right or whatever. Fine. You believe what you want to believe, right? Bottom line is, I feel like if you want to drive a race car, you get in a race car. And if you want to drive it for the kind of money you get paid to go drive the race car, right? And you have an obligation to sponsors and you got people that, you know, are, are doing and paying a lot to see you do this. Your job is to be there. Not to be out jacking around doing something else and snowboarding <laughs> or whatever it is. We know how you feel on that matter. You know, then bottom line is drive a race car. If you don't want to drive a race car, then become a surfer or a snowboarder. I don't care. But just drive the race car. Well, and I, um, backing up just a little bit, getting paid the amount of money that you get paid. If you're, you know, in, in the top, you know, upper crust of, of NASCAR, you need to prioritize this, but also you are taking the risk because you are getting paid the equivalent of the risk. It, it's much like the NFL. I mean, look at the millions and millions of dollars in their contract. They have a lot of injuries. There's, you know, I mean, some really frightening injuries sometimes when they're, you know, getting carted off the field and you're like, oh my gosh, that guy's season could be over. His career could be over. However, they were talented in that area. They got all the way to that level. That was their dream. And their families and wives were completely supportive of it. They finally get there and they're going to give 100% every single time they're out there. And sometimes things happen and they get hurt and maliciously hurt to the point where it breaks bones, you know, stretches tendons and, and muscles and things to the point where they cannot compete any longer. However, the money is equivalent to what they're doing. And I think that is, I mean, that's obviously not what, you know, humanity wants to hear, but that is the bottom line. If you're getting paid that amount, then the risk versus reward, which is what this episode is about, is worth it. I think also, if you look at the other things, some of the ancillary things that come with that is you think about what the organization gets by not making the playoff. If you are a factory team with Chevrolet or Ford or Toyota or whatever, some of those teams probably have bonuses based on making the playoffs. I mean, I've hear, heard that maybe there's like a, you know, anywhere from a five to $10 million like bonus to make the playoffs. Well, if that organization doesn't get that because you went out doing something and you really, you know, kind of skewed the opportunity for that, then it tears down what the team can do to rebuild and come back and be more proficient the next year, let alone the guys that get bonuses. A lot of the big teams have bonuses for all the crew people. If you win in the playoffs or you win the championship or whatever, per, just for a win period, there's bonuses for all the employees and the road crews and stuff like that. So it diminishes everybody's you know, opportunity to get funding, right. you to know, accumulate to the accumulate wealth. the wealth, mm -hmm. you know, let it now, in my opinion, I've just always said, okay, just forget about the money for a minute and just go back to what your reason you drive a race car in the first place, the love of driving a race car, the passion you have to do something that you truly love to do. You did not start out running go-karts and running late models and doing those thinking you're going to be the cup driver. You may think you are, but the bottom line is when you're doing it, you just sheer, sheer love it and you enjoy it and you, it's a family affair and you go and then you have everybody, you know, the adulation as a young kid, whatever the case may be, as you get 
you know, higher up in the ranks and there is an opportunity to make a living doing this, become a professional race car driver. And if you're fortunate enough to do that at a young, young age, you know, in your early 20s, you realize just the magnitude of what it is and how special it is to make a living doing this, waking up and going to do what you love to do and getting paid to do it. That is something that you, for, I think a lot of these guys forget about. And you, in my opinion, you have to, you have to kind of like take it back to where you were when you were there and realize just how much you love doing this. You know, cause I can tell you when it's not there and you don't have your, it's not accessible to you, you will miss it. And I think, you know, look at, look at Kurt Busch, for instance, you know, it ended his career earlier than maybe he wanted it to a year or maybe, maybe two, who knows? But the bottom line is you can see the pain and the anguish and the misery when he has to even discuss it, that this is it. It is over. I get it. It's, you know, and it, it really is because you love what you do and you haven't got enough of it yet. And, you know, if you've had enough of it and you can discard it and walk away, so be it. Good for you. But I'm telling you, if you really are a race car driver and you love it to the fullest degree of the work, I don't believe that that's the case. I think you ultimately regret leaving it. You ultimately miss it, whether you want to say you do or you say you don't. The bottom line is whether your wife doesn't want you to do it or whatever the case may be, you miss it. Yes. And I think there are outside influences. Obviously, if you, you get hurt or you've had multiple concussions and the doctors say, hey, if you continue to do this, your brain's going to be scrambled. You're not going to be able to, you know, watch your children graduate and have, you know, all of your mental faculties there. What do you want to do here? And that's different. Uh, you know, I, we see a lot of drivers that hang it up a lot earlier than what you did just for the sheer fact that they want to be present for their families, not just present as in not miss dance recitals and soccer games and graduations and blah, blah, blah. They want to be present in that they don't want to be uh, disabled in any way, be able to enjoy the life that they have left with their families in, a, in the fullest capacity that they can. And you nor I or anyone can say for anyone whether, you know, they can make that choice. They probably still love the sport just as much as you do, but they had extenuating circumstances. Um, I can condone whatever. It's their decision. And it's, it's a conscious choice that everybody has to make for themselves. But what I'm saying is, you know, I believe that you really, you do miss some elements of it for whatever reason. Oh, absolutely. Right? And it's hard to put down. It's, it's hard for you to go to tracks yes. and not be able to drive. Yeah, it, it really is. And I think that, you know, the older you get, the more, you know, reminiscent you get, the more reflective you are, and you miss the camaraderie, being with all the guys, being with the, you know, the, showing up the racetrack, the nomadic lifestyle, all those things. You miss what you did for 30 years, and it is hard not to. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. repetition is something that, you get very used to doing and it's hard to not do it. And so, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I get it. But it's like, I think you look at right now, you know, the kids that are coming up here, um, it, you know, they're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, the cup series, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I was not much more than that when I got in the, my first cup race, you know, and I get it, you know, and, you know, but I still think that, you know, it, it doesn't, 
the cars, you know, the racetracks, all the things that you have now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's easier to get in those now and, and not worry about getting hurt or having uh, an issue. The cars are, you know, and the racetracks are way more safe than they used to be. So Correct. it does take that element um, out of there. And, you know, I think for the mothers and the fathers and, you know, everybody that's involved, you know, behind the scenes, then there is, you know, there's still the, the element that it can happen, but the, uh, not to the extent, not to the great de- degree that it was. Right. So. And I think it, it takes less of a fearless person to, to do this sport. Is that right? Yes. Less, you, you don't have to have, you know, the, uh, you know, death-defying spirit as much as you did back when you first started. That took a very unique individual that just said, hey, you know, whatever may come, I'm getting in this car, you know, Hans device or no. I mean, there were some that, you know, like you said, wore their seatbelts very, very loosely, were, you know, (laughs) smoking in the car, you know, some, you know, didn't even wear, you know, helmets to begin with. I mean, it definitely was a sport where it was the toughest of the tough, the fearless of the fearless. And that doesn't have to be the quality so much anymore. No, it doesn't. I don't think so. I think, again, right now, the sport's in a in a kind of a strange dilemma or area right now. I think that, you know, it just it feels like you just kind of get to situations where you know things change, but the time goes by, and you get caught up in a in a lapse of a year where you know all of a sudden that becomes the norm that people are looking at it from then, and it's really not. And so you know, yeah, I think it comes down to perspective, and it comes down to the commentators and the people that are actually you know setting the stage. Uh, it's their job to give the perspective. And I think that there hasn't, that hasn't been done, you know, uh, as, as probably well, proficiently think, as it could have, but it's good to see Kyle and, and I was going to say Dale Kyle Jared and Dale did a good and job those of saying, guys hey, did. It's, it's a dangerous sport and you know, this is par for the course and you either and like don't take it, it lightly. Don't. Yeah. And right. don't, you know, don't disregard the simple fact, right? This is not new. Right. Right. And I think that's, that's what I did like about having some guys that have been there and have been in the realm of this before and could speak to it in, a, in an intelligent manner and maybe try to give perspective. And the guys that are, you know, talking with social media and saying the need, NASCAR needs to change all this, like, you know, well, you know what? I say, you know, boo-hoo, you know, <laughs> bottom line. Well, and I think as humanity continues to evolve towards more safety and more, you know, it, there's just so many things, you know, it's safety is all a matter of timing a matter of history. Look, we were just talking the other day about how, I mean, my parents put us kids in the back of a pickup and drove across country. And that was not out of the realm of normal. That really was not. I mean, we did not get pulled over by a police officer and say, put these kids in the cab of the truck. What are you, what are you thinking? I mean, and nor were my parents dysfunctional or terrible, abusive, neglectful parents. They weren't. But that was normal in Northern Idaho and probably other places as well. You know, maybe not in inner city, but, you know, now you would never do that. We would never let our children ride in the back of a pickup for miles and miles and miles on on a highway. So it's the way you think of things now versus then. What was normal then is now not the norm. And I think that comes, the, the danger 
factor is incredibly apparent in some things now when it wasn't back then. And now that everyone has a voice and there is so much media. And I think too, there are droves of people who love to naysay about NASCAR, racing in general. There's always going to be those moms against something or parents against something or just people in general that want to say, this is this is bad. This needs to be taken care of. This needs to go, you know, this needs to go away. And they're always going to have their soapbox. And so then it starts a big stink. And then everyone gets into a big uproar about, well, is it or isn't it? And honestly, NASCAR media loves this. I see it splattered all over the place. Is this too dangerous? Did you see Ryan Priest's wreck? Weigh in on this. Is it, you know, should NASCAR be? I mean, they love that there's engagement on it. So they're actually profiting from it as well. Well, they, they just want, they just want people talking. If it's good, bad, or ugly, you're that's still right. talking about it. You know, it's just, it's There's good no media. media. It's bad media. That's correct. So they, they like all that. Right. I think I go back to, you know, when you just were talking about the James Hunt, Nikki Lauda, you know, thing. Well, I, th- I agreed with the fact that, you know, you know, Nikki Lauda, you know, he was a fantastic race car driver, very analytical, but like you said, he's 20% risk. No more. You know, I guess I get it. Right. But yet, you know, Hunt, he's like, Hey, you take your, you take out what's good in the sport. Really, the bottom line is, you know, I will die for this championship. I will literally put my life on the line for this because it means that much. I'm here for one thing, and that's kind of way I looked at it. I'm like, here, I come from nowhere, and didn't have a whole lot. You know, loved auto racing, loved motorsports, pretty much my whole life, really. And it's like when you get the opportunity to be one of forty in the nation. And to drive a race car for a living at the highest level, you need to put it on the line each and every week. And I don't care, you know, when the racetrack's brand new and it's got lots of grip and you're going really fast and the tires can't take the load and the tires are blowing out and you're in the fence and you're hurt. You know what? That's the risk of what you do. You can't time when, come, when, when somebody decides to, you know, change the, the racetrack. They can't change when they make a tire change or they go to radios or they do this. You don't have the luxury of, of waging in on that. You are the driver. You are the fixture in the seat. You're the crash dummy. And away it goes. And you know what? If you don't want to drive it, there's somebody else that will. And you know what? When you, at the end of your life, at the latter stages of your life, when you don't do it anymore, and you have the aching bones from all the stuff and all the pain, <laughs> Is it worth it? Yes. I say you've lived a life well lived that no one else, maybe not very many else, have had the opportunity to in the era that we did and go through what we did. Not many have had can say that they did that. And truly. that truly is something special. It is. You know, and I think that you can live with. And they can live with the pain. You can live with not driving the race car anymore. But you know what? You did something special. And when they were averaging just under 200,000 people per event, I mean, you're talking a Super Bowl is 80,000 people. We were averaging almost 200,000 people per event, 36 weekends a year, every year. Now that is impressive. And that was impressive. But how much of that was because the sport was dangerous? They were watching men put their lives on the line every weekend. Well, look, look at Days of Thunder. That depiction of being on a stretcher, airlifted to the hospital, and being broken up 
and having to go through rehabilitation. That is the excitement and the danger that people will thrive on. Why would it not be? A, why would it have been in television, right? Because it's the emotion. It is the excitement. It is all the things that normal people won't do, won't allow themselves to do, or don't have the guts to do. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is, there's guys that have dared to dream, put themselves in the line, on the line, and same like you say the military. You're out there, and it's done. And you know what? Come what may. Right. And I think that's what we don't have today is what we don't see today. And I remember all the guys on the pit road, the guys that were killed on pit road that got hit by cars. I felt bad. I get it. But you know what? They were just as brave jumping out in front of a car coming Absolutely. down there with a screwball behind the race car deal, <laughs> driving her for all An infantile egomaniac. Yeah. Coming down the <laughs> pit road with his hair on fire, trying to get to pit road. And there's guys jumping out and out of the way, right? Now, that took a lot of guts, too. So I'm not yeah, just saying maybe, it's the race car drivers. The brains, it was uh, everybody. So <laughs> it was the whole dynamic. The guys on the pit crew jumping over the wall, the guys, you know, driving the race cars. It took someone special to do all of that. That was a team sport. It and just really like was. Ernest Hemingway said, the true sports are auto racing, bull riding, mountain climbing. Everything else is just games. And it's it's true. It's true. It's true because that is... Th- there's a fear factor. And, and my dad was a mountain climber. You put your life on the line to say, I want to get to the top of that peak. I want to climb Mount Rainier and stand at the very top of the highest mountain in the continental United States, minus Mount McKinley. I mean, my goodness, who does that? Who wants to stand in front of Who wants of, to do that? Who wants to stand in front of a bull? Exactly. I mean, well, no, who wants to ride a bull? Well, we're talking bull, bull riding. riding. Yeah. Okay. And, and that and that is actually what I would equate NASCAR drivers to as well when you started. Yeah, riding is, a bronc. And because I, I did watch rodeo when I was a kid and I loved that. The bull, what, what's your favorite event? It's not bronc riding. It's not barrel racing. It's the bull riders. Who draws the biggest crowd? The bull riders. Why? Because it's the most dangerous. Eight because seconds. you know that. In eight seconds or less, that rider could get thrown off and maimed and or killed. Exactly. exactly. And so those are the sports that, that are just so memorable and so exciting and draw the crowds and, and, and make the heroes. You know, not that it's heroic to be, you know, stupid or fearless with your life, but whether or not you agree with, with that definition of hero or heroic, that is that is what they are. And that's, you know, that's what people are drawn to. But not, so. not, that, not an average guy is going to do any of no those average, things. No average woman or man are going to do those things. It does take, I mean, maybe 1% of the population has the guts to do that. And I don't know if, I mean, I look at you, you know, were you born with it? Is it instinctive? Did you watch someone do it? I mean, I, I've often wondered, you know, as I, you know, listen to you and look at your life and I think, what does it take to do something that is that dangerous? What is in your mind where you think, are you invincible? You just, you just love it so much you do it. I mean, I don't know what it is. I probably will never know. But there are people out there who have that, that characteristic. It truly is a talent to have that fear factor not be as high as the average person. The one thing that I can say, when you live a normal and you're going to work every day, you're coming home or you're semi-retired or whatever the case may be, 
you get bored. I do. Well, I that's what I'm saying is the average person's okay with, with a typically a normal boring what you call boring. Other people may say that's a peaceful life. That's a wonderful life. You know, and I mean I was I was a I was a very fearless kid. Uh, we went bungee jumping, we went cliff diving, we went whitewater rafting. I, you know, we, you know, did all kinds of things. You know, I was up in, you know, little Cessna airplanes when I was like 13 years old. Those type of activities thrilled me, but my girlfriends thought that I was crazy. They would have never done those things. Well, like I said, you know, that's a, as far as I'm concerned, it's been a life well lived. And I don't think I could ever have scripted anything better for myself if I had the opportunity to do it over again. And so I think there's a lot of things that, you know, there's other things that people have done that are outstanding and, and, you know, give them passion and joy. And I think that's, that's the thing I've always just stressed, you know, to kids and, and everyone else when they say, well, I want to do this, do that. Well, you just got to dare to dream. You know, you just have to really want something more. And if you do, then don't believe that, you know, it's, it's not attainable, you know, and it may change. It may morph into something else, but at least you'll be doing something that you really, truly are passionate about. And there's a lot to be said for that. And I think that's what I do now is trying to look for things that fill voids, still get to do the things I love to do, go to the racetrack, be involved you know, get to drive our car that we have now where we're doing, you know, the hot laps, which we'll go into, but finding a way to have an outlet that is semi close to what I have done to continue to have that enjoyment and that thrill and that, that, that way it touches you emotionally. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to make happen, but that's what I look for each and every day. And when I don't find that in the day's work, I'm as about as, you know, owly or disappointed or, you know, indignant as it, as it, as it comes. And, well, you know. but what we want to import to the listeners today and with this podcast is that to, to go out there and, and go for that dream. And if you have a passion for something that is unique, by all means, go out there and do it. You know, live life to the fullest. You know, here's, here's to making it count. You know, find a way to make it happen. Right. Find a way to make it happen. Make people believe. Put yourself out there. And I think that's the thing that I think a lot of people just, they, they won't do. You have to make an impression on somebody. You have to make them believe in you and give you an opportunity to be someone special and do something special. So, well, and if you have the guts to do something unique, especially, yeah. go out there and do it because you're one of the few. If you have the guts to do something death-defying, you're one of the few. Yeah. So make it count. Well, like I said, this is our, our 50th. Yes. Happy anniversary, baby. Yeah, thank you. Thank it's been you. one year of podcasts. Yeah. So it's something new for us, something that uh, has been enjoyable and, you know, something that, you know, is a little bit out of our expertise and our realm, but certainly has been, you know. I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah. I think we've enjoyed it and I think we've done a, a credible job. And, you know, I think for us right now, we have a lot of things going on and we've obviously taken a, a few weeks break here and you know, we are going to take a break uh, until after the first of the year. Uh, we have a lot of things we're doing now because we are heavily involved with, obviously, the Trans Am and GR86 Toyota program, trying to finish up our obligations there. And, you know, as I alluded to, you know, we've got uh, the Radical and, you know, we are now really in, embarking on some things from the corporate 
side of, um, of, of things where we are doing some public speaking. We are actually doing some, some uh, corporate outings with the Hot Laps uh, program where we are taking the radical and doing, uh, you know, basically, you know, ride along programs for corporate events and doing motivational speaking and then talking about other things. Right. We're doing some personal development uh, days for corporations, small businesses, where Derek talks about personal development, whether it be teamwork, um, finding strengths and weaknesses, personality traits, um, dealing with problems in the workplace. And then I do a wellness talk where we talk about think not only you know physical wellness and health, but also mental awareness. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we are starting that this month and have a few bookings towards the end of the year. And then hopefully we'll be able to incorporate the hot laps. I'm really excited about the car. Yeah. So there's a lot of exciting things that we are embarking on and kind of, you know, I kind of think extending to what we've done in motorsports and the things that we've learned, the mistakes we've made, but, you know, the things that we felt like we've been proficient at as well and just trying to pass those things along. And, you know, again, if you have a small company out there uh, or if you've got young kids or yourself, you know, and looking at coaching and needing some coaching at, you know, ride along and maybe a coaching program or some road racing things or oval track racing doesn't matter. Or you got small companies and, you know, uh, you're looking for, you know, someone to come in and, uh, you know, do a motivational speaking engagement. And it doesn't have to or, be in with the, with the radical. This can be completely separate from the radical or encompass it sure. as well. Yeah. So, but um, I will say I had an opportunity to sit in the radical in the passenger side today and. Uh, I will say that that is um, that thing is low to the ground. I can't really see out of it. And uh, that I am excited about how much that's going to scare me when we get that going. And it's open cockpit. So yeah, that's what I mean. Air in your face. So, <laughs> yeah, a lot of exciting things happening. So we just want to say thank you uh, for listening to Race Theory uh, for this year. And we look forward to bringing some new things and some new exciting uh, looks and perspectives as we move along. And please, if there was something that we did not talk about or something that you would like us to elaborate on that we did talk about, but you were like, hey, that was good. Why did you not talk about it long enough? Please give us some feedback. DerekCope.club, RaceTheory.club. Derek's Instagram is back up. He was in jail for a little bit, but DerekCope00. Um, let us know what you liked, what you didn't like. Hey, it's not going to hurt our feelings a bit. We would like to start off next year with some topics that are really timely and that apply to you, the listeners, because that is who we are talking to. So with that, we will see you next year. And thank you for listening to Race Theory. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope 00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.